Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear page by page. This is page 579. Head in exaggerated bemusement. Even if I believed ye for a second, he said, that means ye should make four or five pennies a day, not twenty what... I put on my most ingratiated smile and leaned into the conversation. Listen, I... Tam's mug knocked hard against the tabletop, sending a splash of cider leaping up into the air. He gave me a dangerous look that didn't hold any of the false playfulness he'd been showing Tempe. Boy, he said, you interrupting me again. You interrupt me again, and I'll knock your teeth out. He said it without any particular emphasis, as if he were letting me know that if I jumped into the river, I was bound to get wet. Tam turned back to Tempe. What makes you think you're worth three jots a day? Who buys me buys this? Tempe held up his hand. And this, he pointed to the hilt of his sword. And this, he tapped a leather strap that bound his distinctive Adem reds tightly to his chest. The big man slapped the table hard with the flat of his hand. So that's a secret, he said. I need to get me a red shirt. This brought a chuckle from the room. Tempe shook his head. No. Tam leaned forward and flicked at one of the straps near Tempe's shoulder with a thick finger. Are you saying I'm not good enough to wear a fancy red shirt like yours? He flicked the strap again. Tempe nodded easily. Yes, you are not good enough. Tam grinned madly. What if I said your mother was a whore? The room grew quiet. Tempe turned to look at me. Curiosity? What is whore? Unsurprisingly, that hadn't been one of the words we had shared over the last span of days. For half a moment, I considered lying, but there was no way I could manage it. He says your mother is a person who men pay money to have sex with. Tempe turned back to the mercenary and nodded graciously. You are very kind, I thank you. Tam's expression darkened, as if he suspected he was being mocked. Ye coward, for a bent penny I'd give ye such a kickin'. You'd be wearing your pecker backward. Tempe turned to me again. I do not understand this man, he said. Is he attempting to buy sex with me? Or does he wish to fight? Laughter roared through the room, and Tam's face grew red as blood under his beard. And that's the page. I'm Nick. I'm Jordana. I'm Jeremy. And this page is funny. It is funny, and you read it very (laughs) well. Uh, You even... Gave Tam a bit of an accent, which you don't normally do. Uh, no, so. it's you know what really helps the yur. Mm. I say the yur really gives me the sound for it. <laughs> mm. We talked about this in the previous book uh, with Shime the Swineherd, so I don't want to beat the dead horse. But Rothfuss occasionally transcribes accents. Um, he 
will occasionally not do it and just sort of mention that they have like uh, they have an accent or they speak with a dialect and they'll their text will be written without the the I'm not sure how to artic- how to say it like um, Jeremy what's the word I'm looking for here when the text is like transliterated as the accent you know what i mean it's like transcribed the sound of it is is on the page yeah i mean i don't always do that i don't know if there's a word for it but yeah uh and that that has kind of gone out of fashion in the last i don't know five ten years of of uh of fiction writing like people don't really do that anymore uh but I think that it's a perfectly valid tool for, you know, helping a reader understand this particular way a person sounds, especially in a book where nobody is speaking with like an accent that you would recognize, you know, like this guy, the way it's, it's written, he, it kind of sounds like he might be from like the North of England or maybe Scotland, but not completely. Uh, like it's not, it's not a one-to-one and Rothfuss is pretty good about not ever making it a complete one-to-one this guy's accent sounds like in our world, someone who's from Ireland, like he doesn't really do that. And I guess it's important diegetically because Tempe needs to have trouble understanding him, Mm -hmm. which is an added layer of tension in the scene is that Tempe is like literally not sure what he's saying most of the time because he has a thick accent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's really, although technically if I may push up my glasses, uh, it's only an accent if it's a different mother language that they have. It's a dialect if it's the same mother language. So presumably this guy is speaking in a northern dialect because he still speaks uh, a Turin or whatever. Mm. Uh, it's not actually an accent. Right. Um, but that is where, as you say, both the tension and the comedy in this scene, a lot of it comes from the fact that we're not quite sure how much Tempe understands of what the guy is saying. Right? Like, he understands... Like when the, at the end of the page, when the guy says like, I'll, you know, I'll mess you up so hard that you'll be wearing your dick backwards. Tempe clearly understands that he said the word dick or said the word pecker, but he doesn't understand the words around it. So he's like, he said, like he's saying to Koth, like, I'm not quite sure what he wants from me here. I recognize this word, but not the context of it. What's he after? Well, so I, I hear you and that's a perfectly valid read, but I almost wonder if, because the more we know of Tempe, the more we get of his sense of humor. I almost feel like this is one of the ways that Tempe is like Riley striking back at this guy and intentionally embarrassing him. It's sort of like in the same vein as the way he diffused the tension with, uh, with Dayton and Hespi is he feigned ignorance about a sexual innuendo that had been, put around him. So I almost wonder if he's trying the same tactic here, potentially to diffuse the situation or potentially to actually rile the guy up because maybe Tempe is down for this fight. Yeah. But I, uh, anyway, I, I, I think that your read is perfectly valid and like, it doesn't change the story at all, but it's an interesting lens on Tempe's character. If we think that maybe he's actually adding some fuel to the fire on purpose. And it's an interesting ambiguity in the scene because it's not totally clear if he's doing it on purpose or not. Like, Precisely, Le Mans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's also like, it's also funny. Like we get, but through what Tempe is saying and how he responds to what the guy says to him, we also get more of a window into how different Adam culture is from other cultures in Tamarind. Because in basically any culture that I can think of in the real world, and it would seem in most cultures in the Commonwealth of the Aturan Empire, calling someone's mom a whore is a good way to get your teeth knocked in. 
and that's clearly what Tam is trying to do is right. He's like trying to like piss Tempe off. And Tempe's response is completely not what the guy was expecting because he says, thanks. That's very nice. I mean, it's <laughs> interesting we, to think about we though. Know, oh, sorry. We know that this, because we've read this book before, that this is uh, a bit of a foreshadow of the Adam's attitude towards sex. Um, but we haven't encountered that in the book yet. The first time that if this is the first time we've read it. So this could be read as Tempe trying to get this guy's goat. Whereas I do think that it's him sort of earnestly like, what am I trying to say here? It's not yet clear if this is a cultural uh, mistranslation or if Tempe is, is just going like intentionally like, Oh yeah, thank you. Oh yeah. Your insult. That makes me happy. I like being insulted. But it, it is also a bit of a foreshadow because it turns out that he I think he is earnest in his in his gratitude here. He's like, oh, yeah, because he doesn't he hasn't yet. Um, maybe he does. I don't know. Maybe Timmy does know the difference. But I do think that this is setting the scene for the Adam's attitude towards sex that we later encounter. And not just sex, but sex workers. Right. Yeah. Jordana, you were you had something you wanted to throw in there. Yeah, well, I was just thinking that like. If it, it makes sense that Tempe reacts that way, even if the culture around sex in the Adem wasn't as it as we know it is, because when when described that way, it doesn't really sound like a bad thing. Like, like the way that people use it as an insult is because not of of the of what it, of what actually is occurring, but of of all the stigma around it. So if you aren't familiar with the stigma and you're just given the facts, then it's like, yeah, okay, I guess they must be really good at that thing they're being paid for. Yeah, well, I mean that's that's a good observation because that's why calling someone like a whore is pejorative in you know the English speaking world and in you know most of the European continent at the very least because uh despite the fact that it is famously the world's oldest profession uh there's a lot of stigma around it in like you know west you know quote unquote western cultures you know christianized cultures abrahamic faith cultures have a lot of stigma and shame attached to the profession of sex work uh and that seems that's that's where the the negative connotations come from and obviously temp you know uh adem people don't have that same cultural stigma so he's just kind of nonplussed mm-hmm. i also yeah oh sorry after you well i just wanted to like kind of reiterate that it like it's not the existence of the way that the adem uh think about sex that affects why tempe isn't insulted it's it's what it's that they just do not have the stigma. So rather than it being like, I can't figure out if I'm saying this right, but rather than it being what they do think about it, it's, it's actually what they don't think about it. Yeah. I I see what you're saying. Okay. (laughs) Uh, It's also worth noting. I think that Rothfuss does a good job of quickly characterizing Tam as like a dangerous, scary guy. Uh, and at the very least, a guy who thinks that he's dangerous and scary. He's scary enough to shut Quoth up, right? Quoth literally can't get a word in before Tam says to him in a, in like, 
a classic signifier of a guy who's really scary is a guy who doesn't have to like yell and growl and threaten, but a guy who could just say calmly and matter of factly to you. Like, if you don't do what I want, I will like, I will murderize you. I will, you know, cripple you for life, which is what Tam does. And that's way scarier than he was on the previous page where he's just kind of like braggadocio. Because that being calm when you're threatening someone reflects a kind of confidence, whereas being brash and in your face kind of projects a kind of insecurity, if you know what I mean. Yeah, that makes sense. We have a letter today from the Jade Blade. Mailbag. Who writes on page 562 and the usefulness of pretty. Dear Pagers, in listening to the episode covering page 562, Jordana and later Nick expressed some dissatisfaction with the description of the wife and mother, Mary, who comes into the waste and with her husband, Hap, and two young children. Jordana seemed to specifically object to Mary being described as pretty. She was young and pretty with a smiling mouth and tired eyes. While I think that this particular word is often overused and rather bland as a descriptor, in this case it may have some marginal usefulness. Consider that Bast likes to tumble pretty young women. And consider that the child that Mary is holding is literally a babe in arms. Anyone with a mind to peer into a cracked pot might be tempted to think that perhaps Mary's husband Hap is not little Ben's progenitor. We have no firm evidence one way or the other as to the fertility of human fey couplings, but in our own world's mythology, such things are not uncommon. However, my main topic of concern is that a good chunk of the episode is spent talking about how Mary shouldn't be called pretty for various reasons, and yet you folks didn't really cover the bit about how she is a potential adulteress whose possible lover and potential baby daddy is serving cider to the man he probably cuckolded. I think that's a lot more noteworthy than whether or not we should call fictional women pretty or not. Frankly, as a woman with self-esteem, I don't care whether a fictional woman is described as attractive or unattractive. That has no bearing on how I see myself or the worth I have in society. I don't need for there to be a young... I don't need for there to be a quid pro quo with Hap being called young and handsome in order to in order to justify Mary being called young and pretty. As we all know, life isn't fair. So why should fiction be any more so than life? I adore the podcast, but as long as we're talking about word usage, I would prefer the word contemplate to interrogate in regards to thinking about art and its role in our world. The word interrogate makes me feel like I'm a member of the Inquisition and not someone trying to appreciate art in a more meaningful and engaged fashion. Just something to think about while we're talking about words. Sincerely, the Jade Blade. Jade Blade? I do want to say that... Sorry, Jeremy, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say I couldn't agree more. (laughs) I was listening to that episode and it occurred to me that uh, I failed to actually articulate what my problem was with that. Uh, And it was simply that we have a character who is described as pretty and little else. And... That didn't sit right with me, but I also think upon listening to that episode that we harped on it a little bit longer than it needed to be. And I think that uh, our writer here is correct that it's not necessarily a beneficial uh, use of our time to overly uh, interrogate, as you say, something so benign, ultimately, especially when it probably does have some bearing on the plot. I do think that I, in particular, am a little too bloodthirsty when it comes to examining this book and and picking it apart for uh, political correctness and and whatnot. I do think it's important to contemplate these things when we uncover them because uh, to not do it is to risk perpetuating them. But uh, I'm, I'm with you that I'm, I'm going to perhaps try to be a little bit more forgiving. 
reasonable. And I think actually, like, I'm pretty sure that when we did that page, I mentioned, like, that while it didn't bother me, it is something that we should note. That is what you said. Yeah. So, something- I, and I feel like that's a, like, yes, we probably harped on it too long. I am in agreement with that. But that doesn't mean that we should completely overlook it. Yeah, but, I hear you. But it is also important to contextualize. And something that I can't remember if I brought up on that page or not is that, yes, she is described as pretty, but she also gets much more page time and characterization than her husband, who is just literally in the background talking to somebody else the entire time. Right. I feel like that's sort of... That's going to that's gonna loop us back into the discussion that we were having previously. Which is well, not what we want to do. But no, what we should discuss is the thing that was written in the letter, which is that which we did not cover. Which was the potential adulteress. I feel like thing. we covered that on subsequent pages. That's okay. I think I, we I, talked I, about reasonable. that. We did, yeah. we did cover it later, I guess. Yeah, okay. Fine. Reasonable. And we'll continue to be very reasonable on tomorrow's episode of Page. Uh, Speak for yourself. The wind!